seven years old, I used to drink with my dad. Uh, my dad was addicted to heroin for 40 years, and so he would steal from us his family. But you want to know something? Even in the midst of all those things, uh, my dad, he loved me, and I thank God for him. I thank God for all the things that he went through. You know, he didn't know the Lord, and so he wasn't able to do the things that, you know, good fathers do, you know, once they do come to the Lord. But, you know, I just encourage you today um, to have that gratitude uh, for your fathers, um, you know, you wives, you know, you take them out to eat or whatever it is, you kids, man, give them big gifts, things like that, you know, um, that you give them a big hug, that you tell them how much you love them. Um, if you need to make a phone call, that you would do that no matter what. Um, and be grateful for your fathers. Uh, not only do I think of it as a day of gratitude, but I also think of it a day as a day of uh, daditude. That's what they call it, daditude. Because <laughs> those of us who are fathers, uh, we know that today for us, it's an amazing day, huh? In which no matter how old our children are, we want to be better fathers. And I want to just charge you guys to know that, man, your role as a father, uh, it just is a huge thing in the life of your children, man, that you would love them, that you would lead them to the Lord, um, that you would just have your hand upon uh, their hearts and that the Lord would do a work in, uh, in your life as a father with your children. And so um, it's an encouragement today uh, to me. I know I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. And so things are getting pretty exciting in the home right now, you know, good kids, wonderful children, but definitely challenges in our life sometimes. But don't give up, you guys. Don't lose heart. As fathers, uh, I encourage you today to grow. Most of all, grow closer to Christ, because as you grow closer to Christ, uh, you're going to be that father that God wants you to be. And so if it's okay, I just want to pray for the dads uh, right now. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you so much, Lord, for this day, Lord. Uh, it's a day in which we might do things different because it's Father's Day, Lord. And your word tells us to honor our fathers, to honor our mothers. And Lord, we do that today. I thank you for my dad, Lord. I thank you that even in spite of all the things that may have happened, Lord, I saw through that. And I saw that he loved me, Lord, the best that he could. And I just thank you that now he knows you, Lord. And Father, we are just grateful to our, you for our fathers. Biologically, we're grateful to you being our father all the days of our life. And Lord, we just ask, I just pray for your hand upon all the dads here, Lord God, that we would realize that being that dad is, is probably one of the most important roles that anyone can ever have. And so give us wisdom as fathers, Lord, to make a difference, Lord, to be obedient to you and to raise up our children, and to continue to counsel our children in the ways of the Lord, to pray for our children, Lord, as you would have us to. We love you, Lord, and again, we lift this day to you. Thank you so much for the dads that are here. Bless them abundantly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys. Well, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18. In this, one of the most exciting sections really of the whole Bible, 
And we saw last time we were in Romans that Paul in verse 17 was teaching about suffering. Um, and that can be a tough topic at times. You know, you might be here today, you might wonder, well, why is there suffering in the world? Well, we will study that today. And, and then even at a more personal level, you know, when we suffer, and, you know, we're all going to be there somehow, some way, someday, when we suffer, how do we go through that without shouting, without doubting, without splitting, without quitting? How can you go through suffering? In this life, tough questions that Paul really tackles here in the book of Romans, because look where you read in verse 18. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What Paul does here in this verse is he holds up the sufferings of our present time on earth. And then he holds up the glory of our future time in heaven. And he says that in all reality, no matter how severe the sufferings are, they pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed one day. You know, and if you find yourself today, when you find yourself one day in those tough times, you really need to hold tight to this truth no matter what you're going through now i know there are some people here today where everything is going pretty good and you might not even listen to the word of the lord today because you're thinking you know what man everything's fine but one day someday some way everything's not going to be fine your body's going to fall apart your child will suffer Uh, you will see things happen that you just cannot you know explain and god says listen you need to remember what we studied back in the book of romans chapter 8 that the things of this present time no matter how hard or suffering that severe is severe that suffering is it can't even begin to be compared to the glory that will be revealed one day you know and paul the apostle he can write on this because he went through this You know, Paul went through tons of tough times. He was scourged. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead. He was persecuted for 30 years. He was executed for his faith. He suffered so much emotionally, physically, spiritually. Basically, for Paul, it was a war every single day of his life. You know, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you kind of get an idea of what he went through. And it was crazy, man. But the thing is, is that he suffered all these things. And yet he said this present suffering is not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed one day. And that's what we need to come away with, you guys. And it's not that he's trying to belittle what we're going through. It's just that when you really hold to your home in heaven, it really does help you through the evils on earth. And here's the thing, and this is where it ends up. He just does not want you to lose heart. What does it mean to lose heart? Well, you know what? It could mean a few things. It could mean you walk away from the Lord. It could mean you walk away from the ministry. You could mean you walk away from your family, from the calling, whatever it might be. Somehow, some way, because of some suffering that you went through, you end up losing heart. And Paul is trying to say, listen, don't have that attitude towards suffering. Please understand, it's nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed one day. 
As a matter of fact, he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 17 and 18, he said, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, we need to remember we're going to glory, man. We're not home yet. And that's a truth that should help us through tough times. Like I've shared with you many times what Warren Wiersbe said, heaven is not just a destination, it's a motivation. So that no matter what you go through, and you know, there are some here, I would imagine, who are going through tremendous trials and troubles in life. You know, and I know I go through it. Sometimes it's the emotional things. It's the mind games. The enemy comes in and he tells you all these things that just aren't true. And man, it just hammers you. And you want to lose heart. You want to slow down. You want to throw in the towel. And God says, no, you can't do that. Look what we read in verse 19. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. You know, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, all of creation felt that fall and fell with them. The creatures fell. Creation fell. The fall was so severe, Paul says, that creation fell to futility. That's what he says right there. The whole cosmos became corrupt. The universe was now under the curse. The planet, the people, it says, were put into prison. Paul uses the word bondage there in verse 21. And so as a result of that, you have hurricanes, you have fallen airplanes, you have volcanoes, you have tornadoes, you have earthquakes, you have all manner of evil. And with the sin in society bringing that curse on creation, we have here the root reason for evil and suffering in the world. And so, you know, we read this and we're like, well, so what's he trying to say? Well, Paul is trying to say there in verse 19, there is an earnest expectation. He says in verse 20, there is hope. He says there in verse 21 that one day there will be that deliverance and there will be the glorious liberty. One day all suffering will cease and all sin will be gone. And we read in verse 21 that creation itself will be delivered. And in verse 22 that it's groaning, creation is groaning to do what? To be born again, so to speak. And what that means, you guys, is that one day there'll be a new heaven and there'll be a new earth. I mean, the very ground you walk on every single day, you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 3, is cursed. You know, and some of you here, maybe you've gone to Hawaii and you're thinking, no, it's beautiful, dude. What are you talking about, man? Well, yeah, Hawaii is probably beautiful, but it's nothing compared to the glory of the original creation and of our future home in heaven. You may think Hawaii is awesome, but one day when you're in heaven, Hawaii will be considered colorless compared to heaven 
And it's not that creation has a personality, and it's not like creation is, you know, crying out necessarily. Paul here personifies creation in his attempt to tell us, listen, one day all these things that we see fallen and in futility will be set free. And that helps us through the tough times. In 2 Peter 3.13, Peter said, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, there's going to be new heavens and a new earth, new creation, new creatures. I just can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You know, one day Hawaii is going to be considered boring, (laughs) not worth exploring. Why? Because heaven will be glorious and we'll have that in our heart. And so Paul here writing this is not just an ecological message. He wants to encourage you today. It's a real personal, practical message that if you find yourself going through difficulties, you need to look forward to the glory, the glory of heaven One day will keep you going so that you do not lose heart. You do not lose your family, your ministry, the calling, your life as a Christian. He says, no, you do not lose heart when you're going through hard times. I know you feel like giving up and you feel like, you know, stepping down. But God says, no, you need to look up to God and look forward to the glory that will be revealed one day. And it's not just the planet, it's the people. Look what it says in verse 23. It says not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of what? Our body. You see, no more bondage means no more bogus bodies. That's the way it works, you guys. And that's the, what the Lord wants to encourage us in. As Christians, here we see right here, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us as a down payment, so to speak. And one day the transaction will be completed in time and we will receive a glorified body. Now, our soul and our spirit have already been redeemed. But our body hasn't yet. At the rapture of the church, we'll receive a new body. Maybe we'll be here, maybe we'll be there. I'm not sure exactly when and where and how it works, but I do know that on that day, we will receive a glorified body. That's what we see there in verse 23. It says right there that the Holy Spirit, notice it says, is the first fruits, the first fruits of the Spirit. And what that means is the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we're Christians living that spiritual life. We kind of like have a taste of heaven. But one day we get the whole enchilada, right? That's what he's saying right there. And that needs to keep us going, you guys, as Christians. You know, Paul's writing to the Romans, and the Romans were going through tremendous times. Very, very, very difficult in those days to be a Christian. You know, kind of like today in a third world country, nothing like America, persecuted because of their faith. But Paul said, no, you guys, listen, even though you go through this suffering, whatever you do, do not let it deter you from being that disciple of Jesus Christ. One day we get a glorified body. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty two says that. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. I like that. 
It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. You know, I, I know some of you young people are, 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 you're like, big deal. You know, you're thinking it's not a big deal. But some of you older people are just screaming, yeah, that's cool. so cool, you know. Because as you get older, things begin to happen. You know, I'll be honest with you. I cannot wait uh, for the day that I can stuff my face again. I'll be honest with you, man. You know, not worry about the food being bad for me or not worrying about gaining weight. You know, I'll be able to eat anything. As a matter of fact, one time I met a guy named Tommy. And I said, when you go to heaven, open up a hamburger stand because I want to have chili cheese fries there in heaven, you know, because I can't have those things anymore. And if I eat them now, I have to worry about the after effects, you know. But there in heaven, that won't be an issue, You know, but but looking at this, even on a more serious note, I think part of the reason that Paul talks about the new body in the midst of the suffering is because in the whole curse of creation, our bodies do break down. Due to the fall, not only do you go bad, but your eyes go bad, huh? Not only do you lose your temper, but you lose your teeth, huh? (laughs) You lose your hair. Your chest falls down here somewhere. It's an amazing thing. You fall down. (laughs) You get to the point when you get so old, you just want to lay down. And once you reach that point, you're like, you know what? I look forward to the glory. One day, I'm going to trade this in for a glorified body. And then there are things like cancer and heart disease and arthritis and diabetes and all these things that take place. There's so much pain on this planet physically. And you know what? Emotionally, I think we go through a lot. But like I said earlier, God does not want us to be shouters and doubters and splitters and quitters. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in our study today that when you go through the suffering and the hard times, God wants to bring you to a point where you not only tolerate it, but you embrace it. Because you're going to see, we're going to see later that God is doing a tremendous work even through the sufferings that we experience, especially through the hard times that we go through. Even if the day comes, man, when you cannot walk, God says, I want you to walk by faith and never stop. That's what we see, basically. Look what it says in verse 24. It says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You know, all that's most important in life is based on hope. I don't know if you guys realize that or not. But hope is huge. The hope of our new home in heaven, the hope of a new body free from bondage, the hope of that permanent place in paradise without suffering. Now, you're here today, we're here today, and we can't see that with these eyes. But that hope is so important to have. It's like an elevator that takes you to the top floor where your father lives. If you let go of that hope, then you lose everything. Because that hope that you hold on to, no matter how bad things may get, it gets you to heaven and it brings heaven to earth. And that's why you can't let go of the hope. You can't lose heart 
during the hard times. And if you're here today and you're suffering, if you're there one day and you're suffering, I want to share with you guys four words to remember from our text today that I think will help us a lot in life, you guys. Because, you know, as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, you know, a couple of things come to heart. Like, what are you doing, Manny? What's this all about? Well, number one, we want you to be in heaven one day. Obviously, that's the most important thing, right? That all of you here would yield your life to the love of Jesus Christ, that all of you here would be there one day in heaven, right? And then the second thing for every pastor is this, that God would use your life in a tremendous, tremendous way. Now, whatever it is he made you to do, whatever he knit you together for in your mother's womb, that that would be fulfilled. But I know how it is, because you go through life and you get hit hard. And some guys get hit hard and they get knocked down and they stay down. Even Christians. And that's why Paul is saying, no, get up. You're going to see that the suffering is actually part of the plan of God. And so when you're there and you're going through the hard times, and like I said, it's not just physical pain. Sometimes it is physical pain. A lot of times it's much, much deeper than that. A lot of times it's emotional pain. Emotional suffering. And what are you going to do? Here we see Paul shares with us a few things. Number one, perseverance. Perseverance. Again, there in verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Now, perseverance is defined as steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty in achieving success. And so you just steady on. You just steady on, man. You continue on that course. You continue on that call, no matter what happens in life. Well, how do you do that? We read that here in this verse. You hold on to that hope. By which you lay hold of the promises, even though you don't see it with these eyes, you see it with the eyes of your heart. You know, I already share with you 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. That's how Christians walk. Hebrews 6.19 says, hope is the anchor that keeps us where we belong. If you lose the hope, you have no anchor. You need to be able to see with the eyes of faith. Now, according to Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is essentially seeing the invisible and thereby attaining the impossible. Seeing the invisible. Doesn't that sound like an oxymoron to you? Seeing the invisible? Yeah. Seeing the invisible. You can't see it with the eyes of your head, but you see it with the eyes of your heart. And God really wants us to hold on to these promises, you guys. He really does. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 27, that by faith Moses forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses did great things for God. God wants you to do great things for him. Don't be like Jonah. Moses did wonderful things for God. And you may think, well, I'm not a Moses. Well, the thing about Moses that set him apart is that he endured... He persevered as seeing him who is invisible. And that's the way it works in life. You know, I don't see God. I've never seen a physical manifestation of God. 
But you want to know something? I try to see him every day of my life. That's what I'm striving for in my life. When I get down on my knees, when I go and spend time with my Lord, when I'm reading my Bible, whatever it is I'm looking at in life, I'm always trying to see God in these things. And it keeps me going. You know, when I'm praying to the Lord, uh, one of the things the Lord showed me recently, he said, Manny, you need to grow. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I want to grow. And I think all of us here, you want to grow. You don't want to be uh, short, right? You want to be tall Christians, right? And, you know, but, but what do you mean? And, and you know what the Lord's really been showing me lately? Because a lot of times we think, well, growing means, you know, I know more Bible verses and, you know, I, uh, I can pray longer and more eloquently or teach better or I can even be more perfect. But the Lord was really showing me, no, grow closer to Jesus Christ. James 4, 8, draw near to God. And the Lord says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. We have to see him, though. We have to persevere. Right here, it's just saying, listen, the way that we persevere in verse 25 is we hope for what we do not see. And as you're hoping, you're holding on to that, then God's going to do a great work. You know, it says right there that if you hold on to that hope, even though you might not see it with these eyes, but you see it with the eyes of faith, and you just don't barely hold on. Notice right here, it says we eagerly wait. There in verse 25. Then there's another oxymoron. You know, my son was asking me the other day, Dad, what's an oxymoron? I couldn't think of one. Here we have two in the same verse. (laughs) Seeing the invisible, and it says right here, eagerly waiting. (laughs) How do you eagerly wait? Well, it's by the Lord, man. Paul says, in the certainty of the validity of your eternity, patiently persevere. That's what he wants. Don't let anything move you to the right or to the left. Be firm in your faith like the church of Smyrna. Remember what Jesus said to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10? He said, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. He says this, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. How long should you be faithful? Until the day you die. No matter what happens. Here we have the church of Smyrna. They were right on. They loved the Lord. And they were about to be thrown in prison. And that means they were about to go through hell. God said, you're going to be tested. You're going to go through the fire. But be faithful. Until the day you die. And then when the day you die and you're on the other side of time, you're going to see that it was all worth it. That it doesn't even compare to the glory that will be revealed when those crowns are given and you cast them back at Jesus' feet. It's going to be a glorious day. If you find yourself suffering some way, someday, man, right here we see number one. God wants us to remember that word perseverance. Secondly, the second word is prayer. 
It's prayer. Because look what we read in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so you find yourself through tough times. We don't want that to be used by the devil to take you out of the battle. And so one word to remember is perseverance. Another word to remember is prayer. But not just any prayer. You might, you might be here today and you think, well, I pray, you know, before I eat my chorizo or I pray, you know, every once in a while, you know, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to make a difference. It has to be prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you're here today and the fire has dwindled and God says, listen, man, I want to fan that flame. You know, Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And that's what we read right here. Jesus, you know, called the Holy Spirit the helper in John 14, 16. And one of the ways the Spirit helps us is seen here in Romans 8, 26, and that he helps us in our weaknesses, one being the weakness of not really knowing what to pray for. And the amazing thing is, is that the Holy Spirit not only helps us to pray, but he prays for us as we allow him that opportunity. You know, it's kind of interesting right here. It says in verse 27, he who searches the hearts, that's God, the Father, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. It's like God, the Father, he knows what's going on in the mind of the Spirit. How? Because the Spirit and him are communicating. The Spirit is making intercession for the saints. Notice right here it says, according to the will of God. Now, that right there is really the the main thing. Look what it says in verse 26. We do not know what we should pray for. You know, we don't even know what to pray. That's one of our weaknesses as human beings. You know, we think we know what to pray for, and we really, really don't sometimes unless we're really letting the Lord lead us in our prayers. And that's why it's so important that we are spirit-led by him to even lead us as far as what to pray. You know, to pray according to the will of God makes you so effective in your prayer life. I think for a lot of us here, that's a really, you know, transforming thought. Have you ever thought about that? Just being the fuel and foundation of your prayers? That it's not just about routine or regular prayers. Oh, I pray every day. I pray every week. No, it's about right prayers. It's not just about, you know, long prayers or what I long for. No, it's about his will, not my will. And so even in going into prayer, you know, it's so important that we know that prayer is not changing God's will. You've got to know it's discovering God's will. And as you discover God's will and you pray in the spirit, allowing him to lead us and you're sensitive to him in that area of your life, then your prayers will be right on target. And you will be like Elijah, 
who the Bible says, man, closed the heavens. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and then it opened. Man, the heavens opened. And that's what we need, you guys. You know, you go through suffering, you need to know about perseverance. You need to know about prayer. We really want to be New Testament Christians. We really want to rock the world. We really want to save souls. We really want to be used by him. We really want to make it and finish the race. Really do. Well, if you want to, please understand, if you want your prayers to be meaningful, they need to be miraculous every single time. That's our goal. And that's why, you know, I really encourage you in your prayer life to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, that you give him time, not just a five minute thing, you know, to you really give him time. And, you know, what I found yesterday, what I have to do is I have to turn off my cell phone. No matter who calls. No matter who calls, you know, 99 times out of 100, it's not a. An emergency, right? And if it is, well, I'm praying. God's going to take care of it, right? I was kind of bummed yesterday. It was so cool to see what the Lord did in the men's study. He said, blessing, man. But a few guys answered their cell phones during the study, and they left. I said, man, the devil just went fishing. (laughs) Took them out. You know what? When you get with the Lord, get in a place where it's just you and him. No one's allowed. And you pray in the Spirit. That's how we're going to make it through the suffering. Man, we need perseverance. We need prayer. And then the third thing is this word promise. Because look what it says in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And you might be here saying, well, I haven't given up. I'm persevering. And I've been looking up. I've been praying. And yet, here, here's what's going on, man. He thinks have been traveling from bad to worse. And so God says, well, here's the third thing. It's a huge promise that you need to hold on to. God says, listen, all things work together for good. All things? Yes, all things. And all means all. That's all all means. Because I know some people try to get real theological with this. No. God said all things, all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his promise. That's Christians. For Christians, all things work together for good. That doesn't mean that all things are good in and of themselves, but all things work together for good. That's the promise that we need to possess. And I know this can be very difficult, you guys, but you have to not just tolerate this truth, you must embrace this truth. Don't just taste it, swallow it, embrace it. Praise God no matter what the situation is. You know, I'll share with you guys, today my son really, you know, got me upset. You know, and it was kind of cool in the study yesterday, Bill Buffington was said, you know, God, he loved his children, but he would get angry with them too. And I thought, hey, you know what, I never thought about that. (laughs) And so Aaron is uh, uh, just, you know what, he's going to be 
um, persistent in the things of the Lord. And today, man, he couldn't find his glasses. It was time to leave. And he just was so worried that he would never, ever, ever find them again in his whole life, you know. (laughs) And so, Aaron, okay, we got to go. Dad, we got to go. Dad, we got to go. Dad. And then finally, you know what I did? I said, Lord, you are so good. I praised you, Lord, today for the things that are happening because I have learned something in my life that no matter what happens, it is all for good. It works together for good to those who love God. And I don't know about you, but what that means is that means that everything you can praise the Lord over everything like Job did when he lost everything. When his children died, he worshiped God. Do we do that? Well, we should start. The death of your loved one is for good. The disease you've been diagnosed with, it's for good. The devil and what he does is for good for Christians. That's a hard one to swallow. Obama is good. Not Obama. Yes, Obama. I'll tell you one thing. It's brought a lot of people to their knees. And we can't see it now, but one day we will see the wisdom of God in all the questions of life, no matter what it is. It could be Obama, the Dalai Lama, doesn't matter. It could be trauma, it could be Madonna, it doesn't matter what it is. Please understand, it's all working together for good for God's people. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't go to the hospital to get better or that you don't vote according to righteousness or that you don't spiritually fight against false teachers or that you or I should promote someone like Madonna, but we need to know it just means that no matter what the situation or what the suffering might be, we need to believe and be even encouraged by the promise that this will be used by God for the good. And that allows us to carry on, which leads us to our fourth and final word here, and that is the word purpose. We read that again there in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Then he goes on to explain what that means. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see, the purpose in that promise, is that God would create Christians. See, we're new creatures in Christ. And that's what we see right here. All things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. And then he goes on and he shares in verse 29 how God is going to make people conformed into the image of his son. We're going to be the brothers of Jesus. And then he gives the series of events there in verse 30 that basically say, man, we are there in heaven in glory forever. See, and that's the thing, you guys, that we must never forget. You see, the suffering you're experiencing and all those things that you just don't understand, please understand, they are pivotal parts 
of the process of God creating Christians, brethren being born again. They're, they're necessary for the salvation of souls. And because you realize that, you don't lose heart. As a matter of fact, you embrace every single adversity that comes your way. It's all part of God's plan. You know, and you might be here thinking, listen, Manny, I don't understand how what I'm going through or what they're going through. I mean, with this situation, you know, man, what I'm going through, how can what I'm going through save anyone? And the truth is, all I can tell you with the authority of the Almighty and the backing of the Bible is that somehow, some way, it does. It really does. It will save them. It might even part, be part of the plan of saving you. And so for that reason, we need to make sure that we embrace these things. You know, I've seen God take the greatest tragedies and change them into victories. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no pain, you know, but for the Christian, we know this, that there's always purpose in the pain. As one person said, listen, a Christian is like a tea bag. Not much good until it's gone through hot water, huh? And that's the way we are, you guys, in life. And that's the way it is in life. You know, you wonder, well, why did that have to happen? You know, and I've seen some crazy things, and I'm sure you have as well. You know, it wasn't that long ago where we suffered a miscarriage in our family, you know? And uh, you may think, well, the, the death of a little one, you know, your child going to heaven... How can that be good in any way? And, you know, all I can say to you is I know that it is by faith. But, you know, one of the things that is done with my wife and myself in suffering that miscarriage is I'll tell you this, man. We appreciate our children even more. You know, sometimes you have kids and you're thinking, you know what? It's no big deal. Ain't no thing. Chicken wing. It happens all the time, right? No. You know, it's automatic. She gets pregnant, baby gets born, done, you know. But man, no, it's not like that. It is a miracle that oftentimes is overlooked. And even myself, I think maybe that was where I was at until one day this happened in our life. And all of a sudden, my eyes were open and I saw my daughter a little different. And I saw my son a little different. And I appreciate them so much more. And all these things that you're going through, you know, I don't have the explanation. I can't tell you why. Well, all I can tell you is what the word of God says. It says, hey, all things work together for good. And so your suffering doesn't mean that it's easy. But there is a purpose for that, no matter what it might be. You know, I read a story uh, about a man named Alan Amory. And he tells of a businessman named Ken Hansen who went to visit a hospitalized employee. And the patient was there lying very still. His eyes were conveying anguish. His operation had taken eight hours and recovery was long and uncertain. Alex, said Ken quietly, you know, I've had a number of serious operations myself. I know the pain of trying to talk. I think I know what questions you're asking. And so I want to give you two verses today. One is Genesis 42:36, and the other is Romans 8:28. And he said, in life, we have the option of these two attitudes. And so Hansen turned to the passages 
and he read them. And I want to share with them with you today. This is the two attitudes you can have. You can have the attitude of Jacob, who in Genesis chapter 42, verse 36, said, all these things are against me. And that probably explains a little bit of why Jacob was such a Jacob, huh? All these things are against me. Or you can have the attitude of Paul, Romans 8, 28, who said what? All these things are working together for good. And as you have those attitudes, really one is like Jacob, the other is like Joseph, who said what? You guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the salvation of these people. I want to encourage you guys in that today, man. As you find yourself going through hard times, you know, we need to know that the sufferings that we go through have an incredible, incredible purpose, and it's all part of God's plan. Even as we see in the life of Jesus Christ, who suffered for our sins, who was nailed to a cross. And anyone looking at that whole event would have thought, what a tragedy, what a tragedy, what a tragedy. But in that cross and in that suffering, and there as he bled and as he suffered and as he died, he saved our souls. And we see the principle that God calls us to follow you guys. Whatever you do, man, don't be a shouter. Don't be a doubter. Don't be a splitter. Don't be a quitter. Whatever you do, do not lose heart in the calling, in your life, in the ministry, in the family, and in your commitment to Jesus Christ, no matter what might come your way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that we do get knocked down, but we get up. Because you remind us to get up. And you give us the strength to get up. And we keep fighting the good fight. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, as they go through life, Father, that you would bless them. And Lord, we would look at adversity differently. Even though I know it can be tough, we just take that step of faith. I embrace this, Lord. I embrace this physical affliction that I'm suffering, Lord. I embrace it. Lord, I embrace that person who is opposing me, Lord. They're like sandpaper. They're going to smooth me out. Lord, I embrace, Lord, the difficulties of life, the tough times, the tragedies. I rejoice in these things, Lord. Because today I have rediscovered, Lord, that all things, all things work together for good to those who love God and who are in the call according to his promise. I pray, Lord, that this would be a life-changing study that would place joy in our hearts for the rest of the journey. Because I know it has that potential, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you, Lord. And I pray also if there is anyone here today who may not know you, Lord, who's not a Christian, Lord, that today by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would speak to them. And Lord, that they would know, Lord, today that you love them and they need you, Lord. And that today you would save their soul. Lord, I pray, please speak to us wherever we're at. And I thank you that you're faithful to do that.
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. If you're here today.